This is Hitting the Mark. Conversations with founders about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success. With your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Geierhalter. I really started with a brand before I started with a, a real product. It was my Instagram account, Shit That I Knit, that handle was was more so me being myself and expressing my creativity and my silly side through my knitting. And like, I'd be knitting at a bar or knitting on the beach, you know, silly photos, creating that very authentic brand voice before having the product line that we have today. Um, And so I think that that was really important. I created a community before I even had a product of just people who were cheering me on. Um, And so that community and that authentic brand voice was really important in the beginning and it still is today. This was Christina Fagan of Shit That I Knit, a brand of sustainable high-quality knitwear that one would say, besides its name, although it is very much because of its name, has become known around the world. Christina was recently on the Today Show, and Shit That I Knit was the official Team USA brand partner for beanies and mittens this past Winter Olympics. Here's an entrepreneur who started off with brand thinking and learned the business side along the way. So obviously we talk about the name, how it was derived, how to say it on TV when you can't use the shit word, and how not to overdo the shit pun in her brand language. Christina discusses how authenticity and transparency played a big role in her brand's success. We chat about how to get your brand in front of influencers and celebrities, how she moved her production from the US to Lima, Peru, where she's now empowering over 200 women as part of her team, and she shares her Give a Shit program with us. So, welcome to The Shit Show, which... Funny enough, it actually was from a harmless accident at the time we started our call to me completely losing my thread, no pun intended, during the interview, which was a first. But none of that you will notice since that is how we roll here at Shitting the Mark. Oh boy. Okay, let's dive into my wonderful conversation with Christina of Stick. Welcome to the show, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's such a great pleasure to have you. Um, Just a warning to my listeners, we will say shit a shitload (laughs) because this episode is all about Shit That I Knit, a brand that created the official Team USA collection of beanies and mittens for this past Winter Olympics. And you combine these two facts, getting to be an Olympic partner brand together with an explicit brand name, (laughs) and that... A wonderful colleague of mine, um, Rada of Chameleon Collective, shared your appearance on the Today Show with me, um, where they could not even say the brand name on air. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I knew I had to have you on the show. So, Christina, when and, when and why did you decide to make knitting into an entrepreneurial pursuit, which seems like career suicide <laughs> to most? And, <laughs> and how did you have such perseverance to push through with a name that I am almost certain 99% of anyone you encountered told you that was not a wise business decision? Yeah. It wouldn't fly, let alone in the Olympics. Yeah, it's a great question and lots to talk about here. So I love to knit. My mom taught me how to knit as a 10-year-old, so um, kept at that that hobby through middle school, high school, and college, obviously was very popular. Um, and <laughs> I, my sisters were making fun of me in college and said, you, you're such a loser. You're knitting all the time. You should start a website called Shit That I Knit. So I can't take full credit for coming up with a name, um, but I can take credit for 
taking uh, something mean about me and turning it into something positive. And so I did start that very bad website, chipthatinet.com, back in college that no one, it was supposed to be a blog and no one really read it, but it was just sort of a fun creative outlet for me. And when I graduated from school and went into a sales job, it be, quickly became my fun fact. You know, I'm Christina, I'm 22 and I love to knit. I have a knitting website called Shit That I Knit. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't until Instagram really started taking off that that I really jumped in a little deeper and really enjoyed having this, this creative side of me while I was doing tech sales as a way to create something and create this brand that was really just meant to be a side hustle and a hobby. Um, and so I convinced my mom one summer to knit an entire inventory of, of things with me, random hats, mittens, scarves, whatever, and get little labels and you know hang tags that say shit that I knit and go to a market in Boston. Um, and it was at that market that not only did we really sell a lot of things we had knit, but it was it was more so for me, people walking by, poking their friend and saying, oh my God, it's shit that I knit. Did you read that? <laughs> Laughing, getting a kick out of it. And it was memorable. And so I think what I realized in, realized in college, I really liked the branding side more so than I like anything about business. And I knew that that branding was really strong and that it made people, made me stand out, made people remember me, made people laugh. Um, much more so than Christina's knits would. So that's why, that's where the name comes from. That's where it all started. And that's why I've stuck with my guns and, and kept it shit that I knit all these years. It's amazing. And, and I did not think I would ever say this to a founder doing an interview, but Christina, you have dog shit on your side. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> and, that, and that's hilarious. That's, you yeah. know, that's obviously for, for, for the dogs. Um, yes, yep. <laughs> how, how did you... Well, how do you walk that fine line of not overdoing the pun, right? When yeah. when do you spell out shit that I knit? When do you abbreviate it? Is there is there a book of brand rules that you instilled upon everyone? Yeah, I'd say as a team and and me personally, we don't want to go too too deep on the shit pun. You know, we want to make sure that it it feels clean and elevated. We we sell a very high end product. Uh, it's quality and luxury, so we do need to keep that elevated status. But at the same time, we're a group of people, especially as a team here in Boston, of fun, energetic, don't take ourselves too seriously, mostly women. Um, and so we're having a lot of fun with it, but we're not, you know, make too, saying shit too too much. Also, when we work with you know a brand, a store that won't have shit that I net, we can easily swap it to stick. Um, S-T-I-K. And we find that that's what our, a lot of our customers call us. It's just faster than saying shit that I knit. So we kind of allowed the customer to lead that transition from shit that I knit to stick before changing it ourselves. So that is an additional way to get our brand across. And, and was stick your actual legally registered company yes. name? Yeah, I had a feeling. <laughs> yeah, it, it actually had a hard time getting it trademarked. Apparently shit is aggressive. Uh, yes. That's what it's been labeled that, as. That's what I thought. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So trying a few different ways to get that at least trademarked. Yeah, no, that's that, that that's fantastic, and it, it's amazing because it almost, I mean, you know, what what started as a as as just you know a fun thing, turned into one of your huge differentiators, right? I mean, talking yeah. about knitting, I mean, it seems like a complete commodity, right, to start off with, and yeah. you know, you just standing out with simply the name. Of course, there's so much more now, right? And, and in the beginning, it was all right. about quality and all of that, right? It's not, it's not just a name, but um, it, it's amazing how branding played such a huge part of getting you, you know, getting the company out there and getting it started. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot of comparable, like 
products out on the market, but that just don't have that branding. And a lot of people who are consider themselves makers or crafters, you know, not considering how important the branding is and the all the other stuff that goes into to creating and selling a product that's not just making it. Um, and so as someone who is a maker, I, I really enjoy knitting. I really enjoy making things with my hands. I was always thinking of the business side and how do I differentiate myself, as you said, and how do I get the word out there? How do I work with celebrities or different brands that I aspire to be with? I was really thinking more so on that side than maybe a, an artist or a maker who's not really considering those factors. And a lot of your early successes, and, and it still is early in a way, right? Yeah. When, 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 when was it founded? In, in 2014, 2015, right? 2014 is when we went to that first market, and then I quit my, my fun sales job full time <laughs> to do this full-time in 2015. So it's been a while, but it still is early. Well, you, you, you're, not, you're not knitting much these days, but you have a, a couple hundred women uh, or, or more now in Peru who knit for you. How, how, did you. how did you find them? What was the journey like? So after that great market my mom and I did when it was just the two of us, she always calls me, calls herself my unpaid intern when she was the one person knitting with me um, that summer. Then we actually had a team of women in Boston who signed up to knit for us. So they would actually come to the house and pick up yarn and then go home and knit it and bring it back. And that was sort of my first introduction into production on a bigger scale than just me making things so I could focus on other parts of the business. Um, as fun as that was, it really wasn't scalable. And so I started searching around for ways to produce this where they might already have a network created, where the tradition is a little firmer in the society. And so looked to South America because of that tradition of knitting, but also because that's where we were sourcing our yarn. So all of our yarn is Peruvian merino wool. It's so high quality. It, it's kind of hard to find yarn anywhere else that's mm -hmm. as good. Um, and so that's where I started looking. And honestly, I'm a, I'm a, millennial kid, I, I'm a really good Googler. And I Googled how, you know, how to find knitters in South America. Who knows what I Googled, but I found a nonprofit in um, Denver and she connects artisan groups to brands. So I cold called this woman out of nowhere and she helped me find the group we work with today. Um, started out very small, a couple hundred units. And um, I don't know how many people were knitting for us that first year, but Today, we do employ about 200 women, and next year, we're projecting to employ about 450. That is wonderful. Oh. And, and, yeah. and, and amazing how you found them, too, because uh, that, that usually sounds like it could be an extremely difficult journey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, expensive. There. I really didn't have any capital at the time, nor do I now, but like really didn't have money to spend and go and search and you know hire an agent or anything like that. It was all done over Skype and WhatsApp. Um, it was just very virtual. So very cool to connect with people, sent off my life savings without meeting them in person, um, <laughs> which is really scary. And my parents are like, oh my God, what are you yeah. doing? But uh, that's that's really how our relationship started. And they've been so great to work with. I think we share really similar values. And I care so much about the way our products are produced and feeling good about that. And I can feel really good about employing women who can work from home while taking care of their kids. They're not leaving and having a long commute and they're bringing in an income that they wouldn't otherwise have. So they're able to put extra food on the table or send a kid yeah. to a different school. 
um, it's really making a difference. And so when, you know, not only do I feel good about that, but our customer really cares about that as well. So very yeah, important to our story. Yeah. And your customers, uh, I don't know if you still do that, but your customers at some point were able to send a postcard yeah. via your site, right? To thank the team in Peru, which is yeah. such a neat idea to show the ones who are behind the scenes appreciation. And, and of course it helps the customers too, because, you know, it shows them that you care about your workers. Right. So every time we'd go down, we'd, we'd print out these great thank you notes for each of the knitters and, and share with them because, you know, they don't see the finished product. We put the pom-pom on here in the U.S. and send them out and they don't get to see the celebrities mm. or the athletes wearing them. So it's really cool to share that end result and even just our customers and how much they really love the product. It's so exemplary and so high quality. Um, so to give that feedback, I think, means a lot and to make them feel like they're a part of the team, which they very much are. And besides what you're doing in Lima, um, you're, you're giving back in other ways too. You have uh, the Give a Shit program. Can, can mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So a couple of years ago, a friend of mine was diagnosed with leukemia and um, a friend asked to have me host a knitting class for her and a couple of friends. And it was through that experience I realized how therapeutic and meditative knitting really is. Um, her mom pulled me aside after and said, oh my God, I haven't even thought about her cancer in the past two hours. This was so nice for me to be able mm. to just sort of turn off. And so it got me thinking a lot about how I could give back to my peers. And so we support young adult programs across the country, sending out these give a shit knit kits. It's a way that someone can learn from wherever they are, um, from an iPad or a computer, doesn't matter. They don't have to go to a class um, and pick up knitting and sort of maybe hopefully catch on to the hobby or just spend 15 minutes trying at it. But it really takes your mind off of whatever else is going on in your life. So that's a way we can also give back here stateside. I think it's so important that idea that uh, you can help in many ways, right? And sometimes it is just to take the minds off away from what's happening. We're, we're doing something yeah. similar with the with the Ukraine right now where, where oh, we, we provide phone calls with people just to talk about where oh. their business will be later and how they can actually focus on other things. And, 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 it, and it helps just to talk about something that usually you would think is really not important at that point, right? Like yeah. knitting, knitting is not important when you have, you know, a, a severe illness and talking yeah. about business is not important when you're in midst of war but it is just to get people away and think about something in the future and something different so that's cool. um that's wonderful uh looking back i i know i you know i i listened to some of your interviews in the past and and, and read about your brand um i mean you are you're hustling i mean you are someone who <laughs> your 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 perseverance that started with the name never really ended i mean you are yeah. You, it, it sounded like in the very beginning, maybe even, maybe even to this day, you, you're really not spending much on advertising. It's mainly word of mouth, and you're just you're just getting into into celebrities' DMs, or you're, you're just yeah. you're just <laughs> trying to kind of like work your way work your way in there. Um, when, when when you look back, what was what was the big breakthrough moment um, where you felt like you know what this is this is not a startup idea anymore. This is actually turning into a consumer brand. Uh, what was, it? I'm sure, they, I mean, there are usually a lot of these, right? Like small yeah. wins all the way, but what's the one big win where you're like, you know what, this is it. <laughs> I think I think we made it. <laughs> I mean, definitely the Olympics has been a big kind of we've made it moment, which has been very exciting. But in the beginning when it was really me working out of my apartment, um, I had sent a beanie to Kristen Cavallari who I'm a huge fan of hmm. and figured it would never amount to anything. It could end up in her trash can for all I knew. 
Um, and she posted wearing it. And I happened to be in a movie at the time and I came out <laughs> and I had my phone off because I'm a polite movie watcher. And um, I had sold through hundreds and hundreds of this beanie oh that God. she was wearing. And I didn't have the setting on Shopify to stop selling one out of stock. So it created a happy oh problem um, because I had never had that issue in the past. Um, but it was it was a big moment for us and got picked up by, you know, E! News was posting with her wearing that. And it was very exciting for me as really just the only person working at the company. Uh, so that that holiday season, I actually handmade ornaments to send out to people with a little note saying, like, your hat's not going to make it on time, but here's an ornament and a I'm sorry card to put under the tree. Um, Brilliant. We had to wait, you know, for a lot. And a lot of people understood and were very grateful for that personal touch. And that was a way I was able to keep those sales um, and capitalize on this Kristen Cavallari moment. Um, and she still wears our beanies today. I sent them down back in 2017 and she's still wearing them. So that also shows the quality of our hats. They, they last a long time. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Even though I'm yeah. sure you would give her a replacement. I would love that's... to give her a new one. I just don't have her address anymore. So <laughs> not how, that much how? of a stalker. <laughs> okay. So so talking about stalking and, and I know a lot of a lot of marketers and, and, and founders alike are always in that situation where like, yeah, I really wanna I really wanna send like one of those to Lenny Kravitz, right? But but yeah. how? I mean, how do yeah. you get the address? How did how did you get that savvy? Did you just work yourself through all of the agents and PR and like yeah. just yeah, a little secret I have mm -hmm. is an IMDb Pro account. Um, so it's not very expensive. And that's a way that you can get a lot of agents, emails, agents, managers, even lawyers. I've been known to email a few lawyers being like, I know you're not the right person, but uh, <laughs> which I'm sure they love. But you just never know who might patch you through. And if you can really appeal to them, it, it sometimes works. Definitely not. I've sent hundreds of thousands of emails that have never been responded to. Um, or, you know, Instagram is a really easy tool. There's no barrier to entry there and you never know someone might open your DM. So that's, yeah. that's what happened with Katie Couric. She was doing a roundup of gifts that give back. I DM'd her about our brand. Um, she happened to read it. I happened to ask for her email and then happened to ask her out for coffee and she said <laughs> yes. So, um, wow. uh, so we've become good friends and she's been a huge supporter of the brand. Uh, so you just never know my, my phrase, my whole team is going to kill me if I say it ever again, but my whole thing is no asking, no Getty. And that's, that's how I sort of operate. And you know, you do politely, but it's true. Um, yeah. You just never know. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's absolutely true. This is, this is so funny. And, and I think, I think it's funny how you, how you were, of course, the one time the big breakthrough happens and your phone explodes is when you turn yes. it off that one hour in the movie theater. It's like, it's, it's usually the, the celebrity that sh shoots out the ro one wrong tweet and then they get on an airplane and, then they, they, yeah, exactly. and the whole world falls apart while they're you up in no the air. You have no idea. <laughs> That that those are those are great tricks and and um and, and Instagram has helped so many brands um because of that because it is so much easier now to actually um you know shoot the shit with people yeah. and it helps tremendously if you have you know I don't know like like a like a twenty character intro line and you have a great brand name and there's already a story that's interesting just based on that one sentence that you send out yeah um, helps tremendously got to keep it short. <laughs> Absolutely. On on the other, on, on the flip side, um, what was what was a brand feel that you went through? I mean, every single brand, especially in the first years, there's so much going on and there's so much going yeah. wrong. And um, but from a branding side, maybe or you, you know, like was there something was there something that you feel like you know, sh sharing it with my audience? Maybe maybe someone else can benefit from uh, from from 
you know, something that might have gone wrong. Yeah. I mean, so many failures and so many mess ups. I've learned so much over the past seven years. I think of how many more meltdowns I had those first couple of years, just like, oh my God, I had no idea, you know, <laughs> just especially in production that definitely took up a lot of my um, mental health. But I was trying to think about this and I, I think one big thing was when we first started out, fur pom-poms were all the craze, like everyone wanted one. And I was sourcing real fur. And it wasn't something I felt great about. I'm a big animal lover and I don't walk around in big fur coats, but it was what was in and it was really easy to order from Alibaba. And I just kept on moving because I didn't have a lot of time to consider faux fur. Um, and so talk about your phone blowing up and the world ending. I was at lunch with an old mentor of mine and my my Facebook notifications are just going crazy. I was like, I'm not really ever on Facebook. What is this? And I looked and PETA had put shit that I knit on their no. main homepage. And we were so small. I mean, we're still small today. So it was really pretty shocking. I don't know how they found my name or website, but it was a call to action, like tell this brand to stop using for pom-poms. And so oh I had to shut down the Facebook, had to turn off all our comments on Instagram because it was so aggressive. It was so, it was honestly scary. Um, and then my email was put to the public. So my email was flooded oh with hundreds and I had, it was me, my mom and an intern. So it was really just me receiving all these like yeah. death threats, hate mail, yeah. um, and really bad comments on everything that was just really muddying our, our image. So that was definitely a low moment. Um, yeah. we, I was able to get in contact with someone at PETA to be like, I'm a one woman show. Like, please help me here. I will switch to faux, but you've got to give me a couple of weeks. Like I can't do it tomorrow. I can't shut down my business. And it was like right around the holidays. So it was a, it was a big disaster. Wow. Um, and we, we now use faux fur. We got a really great supplier. I feel much better about it. Um, of course now I have environmentalists who don't like the use of plastic. So they're, you know, always mm, yeah. not making everyone happy, but I personally feel better about not using real fur sourced from China. And it was um, a big change. And it was a big mm -hmm. change for our customer because a lot of people do prefer real fur. And for a high price point, they have that in their mind is that's luxury. Mm -hmm. um, so educating the customer on what that means and what that switch meant, but not changing the prices was also a, a hurdle. But I'm happy we did it. How, I mean, how, how horribly stressful for you and, <laughs> and, and on, uh, I mean, yeah. And I mean, it's unbelievable. And, and then on the flip side though, how amazing of, 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 of an impact um, an organization like that can have just based on that grassroots power, <laughs> you know, yeah, of PETA, right? It's kind of like, yeah. it is, it is absolutely scary as, as the founder of a business, but you know, it, it's, it's amazing what it can actually do and how quickly it makes people, people react to, uh, it, it, unbelievable. Yeah. I, I had no idea that there's so much power um, behind an organization's call to action uh, like that. Yeah. It, wow. The, I mean, I think if I were to chat with PETA again, I would have said the emails that were really effective were, hi, Christina, if you weren't aware, here are three faux fur sources you can turn to. Yep. The ones that were not helpful were like, I'm going to come and burn you alive in exactly. your office. So, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's that the fine line. That made me mad. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, that's, and, that's, and that's the fine line, right? I mean, someone, you know, in, in branding, you know, people like to say, you know, if you don't have, if you don't have haters, you can't have lovers, right? I mean, you have yeah. to, you have to, you know, you have to find these people, but that's not what they're talking about because that is flat out, uh, you know, absolutely scary. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that was yeah. not sure that's if it one. was a brand fail per se, but it surely <laughs> made the brand almost fail because of those 
couple of you know a couple of days and and weeks that you were in this uh, in this weird situation. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, as, as you as you intrinsically knew from really from the from the get go, uh, and you must must have further learned uh, over the years of running shit that I knit. Brand story and storytelling is just super super uh, important today. On your site, you sum you sum up uh, stick like this. You say stick is a brand known around the world for making sustainable shit, empowering women, and celebrating the sillier things in life. If you could describe your brand not just in this one really succinct sentence but in in one word you know i call it the brand dna and every brand should have it when you really think about if i can if i can just you know summarize everything in one word what is that one word that could describe the shit that i knit brand so a couple of years ago we we really wanted to rely on our customers to help us identify this word or a couple of words that that become our main tenants and i think a word that really sticks out for us that drives our product is cozy. Um, hmm. And we found that when we stick to that guideline, cozy, as silly as that might sound, um, that's where our customer really responds. So whether it's our really soft, buttery, warm beanies, or then introducing a sweater this past summer, um, a, like a summer Pima cotton sweater, cozy seems to be the word that comes to mind. That's what everyone thinks of us when they thinks of, that's what people think of when they think of us. That's interesting because that is like that underlying uh, theme internally uh, what, that everyone pushes for. And, and from the outside, you feel it, but you never say mm -hmm. it, right? It's it's nowhere to be be found that right. word, right? Uh, which, which I think is super interesting. Um, now that you've been running your your business for a good uh, six six seven years, um, uh, what have you learned when it comes to, to to branding, and 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 what does branding mean to you now versus when you first first started? I mean, I think going to that point about when I first started, I really started with a brand before I started with a, a real product. It was my Instagram account, shit that I knit. That handle was was more so me being myself and expressing my creativity and my silly side through my knitting. And like, I'd be knitting at a bar or knitting on the beach, you know, silly photos, creating that very authentic brand voice before having the product line that we have today. Um, and so I think that that was really important. I created a community before I even had a product of just mm. people who were cheering me on. Um, and so that community and that authentic brand voice was really important in the beginning. And it still is today. Like, the Instagram account is still fully me. Um, we don't really have a calendar as much as we're trying to figure that out. But like, <laughs> it's it's really kept, been kept a space that's like, it's me. Um, and it's it's my authentic, organic voice. Um, so that that's very important to, to who we are. And even though you're, you're, you're continuously scaling, you can't scale you. Um, mm -hmm. it will will there be will there be a moment <laughs> where you have to <laughs> not where you scale yourself right but where where yeah. you where you where you might have to bring in someone on the team to to do some of the social or is that one of the things that you are just a hundred percent married to and you say you know what that's the authentic brand voice and that will be me it's just been it's been hard to figure out a transition plan for that and we find that that getting that engagement on behind the scenes entrepreneurial information like me walking around a fulfillment center and showing how how everything goes out the door people are interested in that or sharing wins or losses like oh we totally messed up and i'm really bummed about this like having that that really transparent look mm -hmm. at the business versus you can easily get on instagram and find 
thousands of brands that are just product images. They're just models. It's, it's, there's no soul really. It's, it's just product imagery. And you don't see a lot of engagement there because that's not why people are on Instagram. They're not on Instagram just to like look at things. They want to live vicariously through you or have a little bit of an escape. So I think that it's always going to be something that I at least touch um, and have a lot of oversight over. Of course, you know, we have product launches and marketing pushes that we need to have those, those more professional photography purposes. But, um, sure, yeah. but we really do try to keep it keep it light and have fun with it. And it is different in the sense too, where usually with, with brands that are at a higher price point, which, you know, I, I would not, I would not say that you're luxury in that sense, but you're mm -hmm. kind of like mid range luxury, most probably. Right. I don't know how you would, yeah. you would yeah, describe affordable it. Luxury or affordable luxury. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, those brands usually stray away from, you know, from, from, from becoming too personable. Right. And, and yeah. there's usually not much transparency, authenticity, right. Because it's like, yeah. Oh, it's luxury. It's like, it's like, it's like affordable luxury. It needs to be at a certain yeah. stage. But I think that that's something that um, a lot of founders can also use as a takeaway. That 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 is, it's it, the world has changed, right? People mm -hmm. want to want to relate to a brand, even if they pay a decent amount of money for for yeah. for a more upscale product. Yeah, and we really care about being accessible and being friendly and and bringing people in. And when we meet people on the street who love our hats, you know, just just being open and excited together. I think people really want to, they're cheering me on as much as they are buying our product. So um, it really matters to us to keep that connection alive and, and that transparency there. What's next for the shit that I need brand? What, what are you excited about in the next six months? Next six months, we have a lot of exciting summer stuff coming up um, in the next couple of months. Definitely excited for warmer weather and, and spring and summer knits, which sort of is more Pima cotton and bags and wraps. So we're very excited to launch those. Um, but really, we spend a lot of our summer getting ready for fall. Yeah. We do so much of our sales during the holiday time period. So it's a lot of planning that goes into that. Um, but we are really trying to stick narrow in our product assortment and grow geographically. So we're very much New England based right now. Um, and we really want to keep growing across the country and then internationally uh, to scale. And you had some you had some great success with uh, pop-up stores doing that, right? Yeah, yeah, so we did a, we've done a couple pop-ups in Boston where we're from and then um, in New York as well. And then we do lots of events all over the country. Um, so we're always somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty pre pretty amazing for you to bridge that gap in the summertime too, and kind of work on that because that's that's an obvious uh, you know uh, <laughs> challenge yeah. with a brand like yours that's definitely. all about cozy. Yeah. Yes, definitely has been a challenge, um, but we did launch a summer sweater last year, which sold out in two days. I mean, it was just gone. Oh wow! Uh, we couldn't keep up, so that was really exciting for us. Um, so we're we're eager to keep growing that line, and yeah, so we can have a little bit of income during the summer. That's nice. Not yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> a little uh, stressful for me. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. How how can how can people um, follow you personally, or how how can they get to know uh, Shtick? Um, so we have our Instagram, and that's at shit that I knit. That's probably the best way, and then our website shit that I knit .com. Perfect. Very good. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for, um, for, for your time, uh, this, this morning here, uh, really appreciate, uh, your insights and your story and, and, and absolutely love how, how you do what you do. So, well, thank you very much. It means a lot coming from you and, um, I appreciate you having, having me on the show. This is a lot of fun. Great pleasure. 
How amazing. Shit that I knit. A name that helped catapult the love for knitting into an internationally known brand. There is so much to how Christina crafted her brand. And I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I have the conversation. And if so, please subscribe, rate and share the show. Hitting the Mark is produced by my consultancy, Finian, where we create clarity for brand transformations. This episode was especially carefully edited this time by Everett Barton, and the Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by the one and only Happiness One. I will see you next time when we once again will be hitting the mark.